You're listening to 66.6 FM Radio TOVH The Flush Hey everybody, it's Joe and Jordan You're listening to the The Toilet Pell Radio Show And you're not going to hear too much of us today Why is that, Jordan? Our Gen X correspondent, Ian, has done an interview with Frost from Satyricon, so we get to take the week off. Damn! That's a pretty get, big get, and also we don't have to work. That's that's a double. That's a bonus. It's nice to have a week off. We haven't had one of those in a long time. Yeah, uh, but you know there is no uh, rest for, for us wicked folks, this us wild and crazy fellas, so if you want to hear... Uh, me and Jordan uh, bullshit about the topics of the day. We well, can go on over to our Patreon, uh, Toilet of Hell, Patreon, whatever. Just Google Patreon Toilet of Hell. You'll find us. Uh, we do bonus episodes every month, and uh, we're about to record that one. So uh, get on over there if you want to hear it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Ian, our chief uh, old guy correspondent, he's fucking, he's nailing it again. He does. He knows what he's doing, and this interview is pretty good because, uh, like, with Satyricon, where they're at now is, yeah, they still do the black metal stuff, but they've matured and they've kind of moved on up to talking about, like, what actually interests them. It's not all blasphemy. It's uh, a lot of, like, artwork and sound exploration, and they talk a lot about their new collaboration or the music that they created to go along with the artwork of Munch. Um, it's Ed, actually Edward a, Munch. Edward Munch, and um, it's actually you can go on YouTube and there's a cool like three minute trailer video of the collaboration they've done with a museum showcasing his artwork, and it's like the artwork is in a darkened room, and so all you see is the art and hear the music that they created to go along with it. It's pretty neat, and they kind of get into that and some other things on this interview. Well, that kicks ass. Um, why don't we get out of the way so that everybody can listen to that instead? Yeah, we'll catch you next week with a regular show. Enjoy the interview. Bye. Hello, listeners. This is Ian, and I'm back today with a very special interview with Frost from Satyricon talking about their surprise and surprising sounding new albums, Satyricon and Monk. Thank you, Frost, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I say it's a surprise and surprising sounding album because one, we we had pretty much no warning this was going to come out. And two, it's not typical Satyricon. I assume it's already out uh, on digital, so a lot of people have heard it already. So I'm just wondering, how did this come to be? You're no stranger to the world of fine art, whether it's you know opera or stabbing couches in an art gallery uh can you talk about how you got to to this really intense and special collaboration with the oslo monk museum yes it's uh it's difficult to <clears throat> to actually find out where to begin because in many ways you know a project like this is uh, something that is in the nature of satiricon to undertake i think it's it's the result of Satyricon being a very open-minded and creative and innovative band. And we have constantly been seeking new impulses. Um, we have been trying to enter new musical territories with Satyricon. And we have tried to, to learn and observe and get better. And I mean, we had a starting point that 
that basically was that Satira and I had a lot of a lot of spirit and we had high ambitions for Satiricon, but we weren't we weren't gifted musicians. We weren't um, technically very very competent, and we didn't see that way ourselves either. But we were very eager to find out where we could go with Satiricon. Uh, and we were very dedicated to to the black metal spirit and to to music in general, uh, and that has constantly led us to exploring new things and to be unconventional uh, and to dare where other people rather do not want to go in in fear of being you know too untraditional or too unconventional and you know thus becoming the subject of the wrath of their listeners you know uh, so doing something like this this is kind of in the nature of satiricon uh, but i think that what in particular sparked this project had a little to do with uh, what happened in the very late stage of making deep calls upon deep and the fact that uh, Satir ended up choosing uh, a less known monk work uh, for the cover of the album. Uh, and to tell the story short, it was a friend of his, uh, who is also a graphical designer of Satiricon, has been that, you know, a bit on and off since 95. And he was to digitally release a catalogue of monk works huge catalogue and because he was working with this Satir got to see it and this graphic designer thought that it might be interesting to Satir to see lots of these works uh, that perhaps weren't that known and he also knew that Satir was very much into the works of Monk and as Satir stumbled upon this Kiss of Death work from the very late 1800s he felt a very deep connection to it. He, he liked the work a lot, but he also felt that it spoke to him personally and he felt that it somehow related to the music of Deep Calls from Deep a lot. And that led him to, to dive a little deeper into, um, well, uh, that work of art, this case of death, finding out a little more you know, how it came to be, um, why did it happen the way it happened, um, in which phase of monk was it made, etc., etc. And he learned a lot about it. And I think that <clears throat> as he learned more about monk's world, and not only his art, but perhaps a bit more of his life as well, I think that took his, that took Satir's interest further. And it's basically just my guess that after we were done with with the recording and touring with Deep Calls Upon Deep, he felt that he wanted to, to go somewhere else with Satyricon, really somewhere else, not just continue, you know, what we had been doing, uh, but yeah, undertake some kind of a project, basically as a personal thing for him as a composer more than anything else. But he also felt that Satyricon as a band could could benefit from him uh, going into something dramatically different and new. Uh, and since 
Munch was so much in the forefront of his mind at that point. I think that it made a lot of sense for him to to think the thought that why shouldn't we do something as bold and daring as trying to uh, make musical piece uh, that could fit to some selected monk works and make an exhibition out of it. And at the point, he wasn't sure whether this should be, you know, a more personal endeavor on his part or whether it should be a satirical work. But at least he got started with doing this. He, he, he got in touch with people at the museum. Uh, he started, you know, working on all the bureaucracy surrounding such project. And he started making some demos in order to show people at, at the museum and in the organization what he could do. Uh, and it turned out that um, he did actually convince the right people, which meant that the project could start. And from, uh, and from that point, um, it's talk, um, yeah, we talk about more than two years of day and night work on Satir's behalf. Uh, and he didn't know exactly what to what to create or how to do it, but he trusted his own will and his own determination and his own huge experience as a composer and as a musician that he would find a way and that it would end up being uh, something that was that was really good, something that was right, and something. Uh, that would something that would take him um, where he wanted to be as a composer, being like very, very open, creative, and and you know working with new impulses uh, and working with something that showed this different aspect of, of being an artist, uh, and only quite a bit later did it start to dawn upon him and upon upon me as well that this would indeed be the next stereocon work but then again even even as you know he was well underway with this process uh, he still didn't know whether the musical piece for the exhibition would be the same music as what would end up on the next stereocon album he thought that perhaps we could have excerpts from the piece made for the ex exhibition and make that the foundation of the next satirical album, while the two could end up being something quite different. So it was only um, at the point where the musical piece was made and we had like almost a full hour of, of music that Satir realized that we, we cannot take out something from this piece and start to do something else with it. This will be the album that, that was just clear to him. And, and I drew the same conclusion uh, after hearing it in its totality and in its finished version myself that you cannot tamper with it. Everything is so strongly bound to everything else. Uh, and it feels like one long journey and you cannot, you know, interrupt it. You cannot take out certain themes and then make 
more ordinary songs out of them, for instance. And it kind of feels like a satirical album after all. It does have, you know, that satirical signature. It does have uh, the darkness. And it does have that rather peculiar sound. Uh, it has something very, very Norwegian to it, but also something that is, yeah, very, very particular for, for satirical, I think, in terms of tonality and certain rhythmical choices um, uh, and some, some other elements. So, so it makes a lot of sense and it turned out brilliant in my book. I agree. It's really a, a well-composed album. And I, I think that considering that it's nearly an hour long composition, I mean, it, it's it's really composed. Like you said, there's certain rhythmic or melodic figures that are coming back on one instrument or another. And if you're not sitting with it for the duration, I think that something's getting lost. But before we go too far into the sound aspect, uh, one thing that's frustrated me in trying to learn more about this is there's very little, almost no coverage of the experience of people visiting the museum and what it's like to hear the music and look at the works in situ. So, can you can you tell me about uh, the first time you got to listen to it in the space with the paintings? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had heard the finished work before um, before hearing it at the exhibition. I had heard it in its entirety and with finished production once. Uh, but still, it was a bit different hearing it uh, in the exhibition room. One thing is that uh, when you enter that room, you also enter a very particular kind of, of atmosphere. Uh, and that will have uh, some impact on, on how you, uh, on how you uh, regard the work. And also a particular mix is made of, of this album for the exhibition. Oh, wait, uh, so there's, instance, a, there's a different yeah. mix in the museum than the one that we hear digitally? Yeah. Oh, yes, interesting. Yeah, because uh, in the exhibition room, uh, there's a huge sound system. This includes, you know, um, uh, sub-bass speakers. Most people don't really have that at home, but it's, you know, it's a proper PA system. So that meant that it was possible to to tune the piece of music to the room, and actually three days were were spent doing only that and find out, you know, how to how to get the most out of it and how to perhaps emphasize uh, certain frequencies or certain other elements of the musical work to fit with the room and the possibilities that we had there. Uh, so when I was in the exhibition room and seeing the finished exhibition for the first time, uh, I had pretty much the same experience as I understood that many other have had there, that it felt like the music spoke to the paintings and the artwork and the artwork communicated with the music. So the, the emotions and the energies and the vibes just came on so very, very strong 
darkness felt so deep and the melancholy was feeling overwhelming at certain points. Um, and it was, in a way, almost a bit too much at times. But I mean that in a good sense. And, uh, and I felt like as, as one who was simply standing there watching uh, paintings and, and, and lithographies and, and other artworks that, that I knew from before, they were coming to life in, in a different way as I experienced them in that room and with that music. I've heard from many people that they have actually um, simply bursted out crying being there because the feelings came on so strong for them. Uh, but but uh, nobody have been been saying anything negative about that experience. But but it seems like it's making a huge impact on people. Um, uh, and that tells us that uh, that uh, Satir did indeed succeed with what he he wanted to achieve with all of this work. He managed to create something that did work well with with these different monk works, and he did manage to create something uh, that also uh, felt even more emotional, even more dramatic, even more profound uh, and, and with even more um, value to it as it was experienced and together with these paintings. And, and it takes a lot in order to achieve that, I think. But I, I certainly experienced that myself being there. Did you have a role in deciding which paintings would be, or, or lithographs, or which art would be exhibited in the gallery, or was that more of a collaboration with the museum who maybe had ideas about what they were trying to showcase? No, that was most of all Satir's choice. After all, this was a very personal work for him and, and a personal endeavor and journey. Uh, and he wanted to to choose pictures that he felt somehow um, did fit well together, that somehow could well, either belong to each other, or uh, you could feel that you know the uh, the energies or the atmospheres from the one could have you know a positive effect on how you would experience the next one or or another one at least in the exhibition. Uh, but it, it wasn't so that he could just, you know, pick at will or pick randomly. I think there, that he also had to to choose pictures that could be made available for his exhibition. And with with um, with the works of Monk, it's just so that it's not just so that you could pick and choose anything you would like simply because you want to have it there. You have to, you have to go through all the bureaucracy and, uh, and the paintings have to be available. And, and you know, at certain times, uh, these old paintings and, and artworks, they are being restored and perhaps they cannot be exhibited for a few years because they need to, 
to be treated. They can be very vulnerable, these old ones. So that is, you know, there are so many, so many practical things that comes into that, that picture as well. Uh, but I think that he got most of what he he were that, that he truly wanted to have, uh, and he did make a very very fine and carefully picked selection of, of thirteen works. He, he he truly did, and you know the fact that you have one of Monk's most famous works there, and that it could be made available for this exhibition it was fantastic, which is that. Um, that work uh, simply called angst or yeah anxiety probably monk's second most known picture of all so so yeah there there's really something i want to talk to you a little bit about the production of the album sonically uh, i as much as i enjoy it I, I see a lot of folks online talking about is it metal is it satiricon if it's metal is it black metal i don't really care about those categorizations but i'm trying to tap into something that that i think is unstated in some of these observations and i'm not sure how to put it but it, it the satiricon and monk album almost sounds too good even if yeah. you even if you consider um you know, I don't. I don't think it's a, a, an out of left field thing at all, considering Von Graben, the the uh, dark ambient project. Uh, this sounds like it could be that, but there's a lot of. It's very different from that, and I, if I, I can't find a way to put it delicately, I think that black metal fans are accustomed to bad synthesizer sounds imitating traditional instruments, and that that terrible bad mimetic keyboard sound is just part of what they want and when you do you say get out a real hardinger out or or, or actually have quality recordings of, of acoustic instruments that these keyboards are supposed to emulate something for the fans i th i think there's a friction there am i am i totally off base no <laughs> i guess that um, if satir had been in the room here uh and hearing what what you just said now uh I think we would have seen a little smile on his face because <laughs> he was agreed right away. And I think that, um, yeah, that's that's an opinion or a feeling at least that, that you share with him as well. Um, and yeah, I, I think that uh, you're very right. Many people in, in the world of metal are very used to um lo-fi recordings and and at least they aren't perhaps that used to um the real deal in terms of for instance synthesizers or orchestrations and now that the, when they hear the real deal yeah perhaps they feel that you know it sounds almost um too clean too huge um uh, it's something that you know has left the metal world that they're used to it becomes something else and i know that metal people have a bad tendency being a little conservative that is not true about all people far from it i i experienced many metal people that are very open-minded and and are definitely receptive 
to ideas that aren't strictly belonging to 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 metal in the traditional sense and uh, many many of these people enjoy fine art and they manage to think out of the box and uh, and yeah they are enlightened people but then you do have a group of people that cling on to certain standards some some codes uh, and they have some weird criteria uh, as for you know what can be recognized as black metal or, or, or metal at all and i must say that many of these uh, appear to me being very very simple and old-fashioned and counterproductive but that's how it is and i think that we have to allow people to to think that way but we can at least do our best showing what we think is the correct way of approaching it and perhaps we could try to to make people understand uh, by example uh, how you could do it in a different way than the traditional one because after all if everybody were to do everything in a very traditional way we wouldn't have black metal in the first place i mean somebody had to invent something that was uh, so hard and so extreme and so dark and so so different and so eccentric and which was going so much further than anything else that we actually got this genre and in satiricon we have always held that pioneering spirit in very high regard uh, and we try to bring along you know we, we try to carry that flame it's true I, I like that you make the the case that you're leading by example here and that's something that i think that satiricon has done for a long time not without controversy so if i could if you don't mind addressing one more uh, production or metal type controversy uh one that you're directly involved in is the evolution of the black and roll feel in satiricon's music personally it, it's what really drew me to you uh, but i know that a lot of people feel that that was a you know i don't know a weakening or, or uh maybe uh you know too too far into mainstream vibes for what should fundamentally be extreme can you talk about i mean what your internal process was as you were starting to incorporate more black and roll style beats were, were you what brought you to that point oh again you know several things uh but satiricon is a lot about evolution and it's a lot about Satir and me trying to to learn and get better at we do and album by album we try to see you know what new can we bring into satiricon that we didn't have before what new resources have we gained which insights have we gotten better at playing our instruments and, and are there things that we can do now that we couldn't do before all those things apply you know every time we start making a new album whether we end up with something that is very very different and perhaps very very unconventional or whether we come up with something that is perhaps a bit closer to the predecessor at least we always try to 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 observe and learn and get better we try to have a lot of creativity and innovation going on we try to facilitate that 
And as a result, uh, we do have, you know, this constant change being one of the few things that you can always be sure of in Satyricon. We are unpredictable, but one thing is is always true and always certain. It is that we are gonna we are gonna do something different, but the Satyricon signature will always be there on every album. And as we had made our three first albums, um, ending with Nemesis Divina. We felt that we had been doing a lot of epic music. Uh, we had been doing medieval stuff. We had been doing folk-inspired melodies and songs. And we had combined that with, with, with black metal. And we had kind of made that the satirical trademark of the time. Uh, and we felt that that was basically as far as we wanted to go with that type of music, having so many um, epic elements and, and base our music so much on, uh, on melodies and medieval themes and, and these rather grand and monumental themes, you know. And also the songs that we made on the first albums were pretty much going in one direction. They started somewhere. And you would go into, you know, 20 different themes by the time that the song was was over. And that was all fine. And there was something something free and liberating about just writing the kind of music that we wanted to make without paying attention to what would be a typical song structure or any such thing. Uh, but as we got to Rebel Extravaganza, uh, we felt that we wanted to go in a very, very different direction. And, you know, there weren't really much forests or mountains left in, in, in our music. You didn't really feel that. There was something that was way more clinical and hostile and, and surgical and, and cold and and you know pretty much uh, derived of, of those those more lively feelings of, of nature and at the same time as we as we brought that into it we also started to to bring in some more what i think of as traditional elements i mean we started to have a little bit more uh, choruses and verses and, and more traditional structures. And after Rebel Extravaganza, which was, you know, a bonkers album at the time in many ways, um, we thought that the, the, the one good path for us was to actually explore something that we hadn't done, which was make, make more traditional songs in, you know, the in the traditional rock and roll way, actually making, you know, uh, choruses and verses and bridges have pretty, you know, simple structures, but that would have a lot of power and that, that would work well. And we started to realize that uh, we didn't make things easier for ourselves that way. We actually had to learn things that we that we didn't know that well. We had to get better at at structuring the songs, uh, and we realized that this was something that we needed in Satyricon. 
perhaps this was something that we weren't that good at, but which the band would benefit from us learning uh, and get good at. So, so yeah, we started doing that. And also it has to be said that both Satir and I are very much into uh, early black metal, which is closer to rock and roll. Like, listen to Venom. <laughs> it's, it, it's rock and roll and punk, but then with, you know, turbo and a rabbit vocalist and, and some darkness to it and a raw sound. But, you know, it is pretty much, uh, yeah, pretty close to, to, to rock and roll music and to, and to pop music. And it's the same with, with the early battery works and even old Hellhammer and Celtic Frost really came out of the, of the rock and roll and punk world. Uh, and we also enjoy, you know, old hard rock and, and, and rock from the late 60s and early 70s. So, so this is music that we like and music that has meant a lot for, for black metal in its very early stage. Uh, and it made perfect sense to us to kind of return a little to the roots and trying to do things more in the way of how it was done when we started to like this musical genre in the first in the first place. But we thought that we will still make it sound satirical. We aren't interested in copying any bands that we like ourselves, but we certainly want to see if we can make this more timeless songs which rock and roll songs are and see if we can can make these structures work and we find we found that it was very difficult actually to 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 write you know a, a whole albums consisting of songs that had traditional structures uh, uh, it took things of us as musicians and definitely of satire as a composer uh, that um, that we really didn't have from before, or at least we hadn't showcased it it before. Uh, and we found that these these structures, if you manage to master uh, composing them and performing them, there is actually a lot of power and potential there. And we truly wanted to to explore that and and to see how we could make Tyricon grow as a band, uh, being able to, to write traditional songs as well. And hence, then that is what we did, especially from, from Volcano on, and, and also for a couple of albums more, uh, before we really let loose the reins again. Uh, but then we had learned something that it benefited the band a lot because after having gone through that phase, not only had we made some of Satyricon's classic albums, but we did also master something uh, that we would benefit from for you know the rest of our career. But we could eventually use it a bit more freely. But it was important for us to to kind of cultivate structuring songs for several albums because that's what it took in order to 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 learn it and, and to master it and to dig into it. I think you're really right that the perception that writing in a traditional song structure, verse, chorus, bridge, whatever, the, the perception that that's somehow easier is so wrong because when you work that way, 
you're working in a musical grammar that's that most people understand so any move that you make within that framework is going to be you know judged as is going to be judged knowledgeably by people who've heard music in this form before whereas if you're just you know chaotic it, it's hard for for most people not just to get into it but to really lay a valid critique upon it so it's it's fascinating to me that that's your middle phase where you get critiqued for being too structured but now at your most current phase you're being critiqued for being too unstructured but <laughs> uh, i think you i clearly hear the lessons of working in a a pop rock format if you just want to call it that in your now way more abstract work i th i think that that trajectory is really clear for people to hear yeah yes exactly and um that's how we really want things to be that when we work with music we want to we want to not only make good music which is the most important but we also do want to open doors for ourselves so that you know uh we can find new rooms and that we can keep ourselves motivated as well that's that's a huge part of it uh could i turn just one last question at you uh, about your fan base and what it's like to have a career with this kind of longevity with this kind of community and uh there's a, a live video a fan shot crowd video of yours that I, I saw and absolutely loved and kept winding back and back and it's you're at some sort of outdoor festival i think the song is uh repine bastard nation and it's from the back of this outdoor crowd and it's just showing the band on the stage nice performance very good and it pans out across the whole crowd until it gets to the very back and there's what i what i'm assuming is just a dad with his like three or four year old daughter and there's dancing around in, in circles in the back having like fun daddy daughter time at a satiricon show uh and i thought you know this is probably one of the most at least from my experience one of the most accurate representations of a metal show and metal fandom is that you know it, it's not it's not all you know the big upfront pit screaming action there's a lot of older folks there's a lot of multi-generational folks i'm just so have you seen this multi-generationality growing in your fan base through you know your career oh yeah i um, i i do have um and i think uh, one would have to be blind not to not to see that we have more varied group of fans today than we did have back in the very old days uh, and that's a natural result of us having been around for you know some good 30 years now uh, and it would almost have been weird if it if it hadn't happened and beyond just stating that you know this is in many ways what you would need to expect having been around for that long um yeah, I could, I could, and it's satirical. This band, I, I truly think, can be appreciated in many ways and on different levels. You have those that really appreciate uh, the darkness, um, the atmospheres, the ambience, the energies, the rawness, uh, the diabolical feeling of, of satirical. And there are people that basically come to see our shows because they think it's the best rock and roll energy they experience anywhere. I have heard that being said several times. And then there are people that are simply very open-minded and appreciate how Satyricon 
could be doing an old school black metal song and making it work in one moment and then do something that is completely different the next and then take another turn again to something unexpected after that and everything feels very right and is done with typical satirical conviction certain people appreciate satirical a lot for that and and all these things are possible either alone or in combinations and that also means that it is only to expect that you will have very different types of of people uh, seeing and appreciating our shows and i'm glad to see it okay thanks for for the talk yeah it was good
You're listening to 66.6 FM, Radio TOVH, The Flush.